0: Hello, my name is Curtis Merriweather Jr. You are listening to the Business Theologist Podcast. This podcast is for new and seasoned business professionals looking to uncover knowledge gems. This podcast is unlike other business podcasts because we endeavor to create a synergistic relationship between business, management, scholarship, and theology. In addition to being an executive leader, I am also a doctoral candidate. The insights shared on this podcast will give you an edge over the competition. Whether you're an entrepreneur, intrapreneur, or executive leader, or someone looking to change careers, I invite you to travel along this learning journey with me. Buckle up and let's get ready for the ride. Let's go. Y'all, today is Martin Luther King Jr. birthday. So the little bit of a tune that you heard was Sam Cooke. It's an oldie but a goodie.
1: An oldie but goodie.
0: A change gonna come.
1: Change gonna come. So, Kena, when
0: you hear this song, oh, let me, guys, I'm just so caught up in the song. I have a special guest today.
1: Yeah, I'm your special guest, and you're my special guest. That's right.
0: (laughs) So my special guest is the retail boss. And I guess Keena's special guest is the business theologist, (laughs) Curtis
1: Merriweather. Absolutely, absolutely. And wow, what what an amazing day of reflection. And just to hear Sam Cooke sing these words... What kind of emotions do you feel? How does that make you feel?
0: You know, this song always resonates with me. You know, most of the, the audience knows that I'm the son of a pastor. And so certain music we couldn't listen to in my home growing up. But Sam, what Cook they call it? What, what they call they it? They call it secular, the worldly, the worldly music.
1: music, the <laughs> devil's music.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, but Sam Cook would, my, my dad would play it. So these, these songs have a lot of uh, sentimental meaning, to me, especially on today, like today, where we're remembering the contributions of Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, the sacrifice that he made for
1: our country. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Dr. King, we all know, has played a huge part in our freedoms and our unity as a people, Um, is what he represented, the unity of who we are as black people, as brown people, and really wanting to bring change to our country, change to our views, our political views, our mindset, change to our economy. I mean, Dr. King stood for um, peace and nonviolence. And one thing I can say about that as, as black people, even to this present day, when we protest, I believe that Dr. King set a standard for us as black people to march in peace. And um, we have, we've marched in peace. So when I see things happening now, it just is kind of heartbreaking because as a people, we just have a certain standard of how we move and how we operate even here. And right now, currently we're in Charleston um, when the killings happened at the church and those beautiful souls went home to be with the Lord. Um, Charleston as a city marched peacefully. That's, that's, so that's, that's correct. to now see the violence and the things that are happening, it's like who has been influencing our people, and I also believe even even in anger, we still always marched peacefully,
0: for the most part. For the th- most part, I think uh, you know whether you whether you love or hate what Black Lives Matter stands for, you know the the, the motto, the mantra, Black Lives Matter. We collectively believe is true. Absolutely. We also believe that all lives matter. But a lot of the things that BLM stands for as an organization, um, I don't support. Um, In terms of the the division, in terms of the violence, in terms of burning down the communities, uh, I personally have challenged with some of the method. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe the motto. But I do have, I have challenge with the method. Um, it's a great way to put it. Yeah. I think the, what they, the, the words in the title mean something. Absolutely. But the method of how they go about doing things, I don't cosign. Absolutely. And that's very controversial as a
2: mm-hmm.
0: African-American, black man, whatever you want to classify me as it's a very controversial statement to normally hear from a black person to say
2: mm-hmm. that I
0: agree with the motto of the statement, but I don't agree with a lot of the method by which they execute some of their principles.
1: And I, I, I think, and this is just my own personal opinion, um, the newer generation and their mindset and their thought process is, well, The way that y'all have been doing it for so long peacefully has not worked. And as the new generation, this is how we're going to show. And being influenced by people who believe in violence has influenced our younger generation, like this generation now. Because I actually had this conversation with our 19-year-old son. And he went to the march downtown Atlanta. And I asked him what was his purpose, and he had a question for me. He okay. said, Why didn't you come here in March with the rest of us? And I said to him, Well, why did you march? So was I answered, my answer, well, the reason why I didn't come in March, son, is because of what is being done, what it's being promoted. And I come from a generation of being born in the 70s. I was very heavily influenced by my grandmother and my parents. And my parents stood for nonviolence. So I personally did not feel that that was the way that we should be protesting because there were, we know there was a mixture of people and it wasn't just black people. It was a mixture of people and other organizations that were pushing and promoting violence and because of people like Dr. Martin Luther King and also Malcolm X, Malcolm X didn't believe in we should march with violence. Martin uh, Malcolm X believed that if we are attacked, we're attacking back, but we're going to come in peace. We're going to come united, but just know if you roll up, put your hands on my people, we are going to fight back. So I believe in both of those methods, and I did not see the march turning into that. I saw the march from different cities as it started progressing, and as it came, as 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 it was pushed to. The, we're going. We're going to now march here in Atlanta, or we're going to march here in Charleston when when that came, it was it was already a condescending message behind the march because of these other organizations joining along with Black Lives Matter. Right. And so because of that, I said, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to be a part of that. And I'm definitely not going to go and destroy um, businesses and, you know, burn stuff like that's just not who I am. And so when I asked him the same question, he says, well, I didn't do that either, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you it didn't cross my mind to be violent because that atmosphere was definitely heavy for that. He said, so it took a lot of self-control for me and my friends not to act violently. Right. And I think there was also like a peaceful march in the town where he lives as well. And he was just like, well, you know, we did both. He was like, but downtown was definitely different. Right. But, you know, so that, that was the answer to that question.
0: It was some of the actors involved, you know, you had Antifa, which Mm -hmm. some of our audience may or may not be aware of, but that's basically Mm anti-fascist. They call them, some of themselves call themselves insurrectionist Mm -hmm. um, anarchist that are really against all forms of government. And uh, so you have them then you have black lives matter that um, they have since revised their mission statement on their website, but when we talked about this on another platform um, last summer, mm-hmm. um, and it's now since changed. I have the videos on my YouTube channel. I think it's on your, actually your YouTube channel, um, where we read the mission statement of Black Lives Matter live. And one of the things they cited, cited was the, they were against the nuclear family. They were for the destruction. The keywords were they were for the destruction mm-hmm. of the nuclear family. And nuclear family, of course, means a husband and a wife, a traditional family. And they were saying they were against that. So that coupled with a few other statements and, that I've heard from some of the leaders, um, some of the things they stand for, I just don't stand for. I love all people and people can do whatever they choose to do. Um, I don't have any, I don't have a, <laughs> a heaven or hell to put anyone in. Um, so, you know, people can make their own judgment calls based on that. But as for me, a lot of what they stand for based on the mission and the vision they've touted, not this newly revised one. I think the the initial one was what they really believed, mm-hmm. but they got so much flack from the media mm-hmm. that they changed their statement. I mean, you heard ESPN commentators
2: mm-hmm.
0: re-quoting mm-hmm. statements from the statement, and so I think it got some negative blowback. Yeah. And so you saw a revision, but I believe what they initially posted was how they really felt.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, when I think about um, today and what uh, MLK Day represents, it still brings me back to that space of change and freedom and unity as a people. And we, we still don't see a lot of change when it comes to police brutality and that was really heavy, um, back in those days. And just the N word itself was extremely negative, which I think our generation made it more of a positive stance to use it. So to speak in, in music, let's just say Based in, on context, right. yeah, in, in, yeah. in hip hop, right. In hip hop in hip hip hop. Tried to basically change it and make it a positive statement, but you know, we're not gonna argue about that. You know,
0: Jay Z's <laughs> words, and that this is very controversial. So, Jay Z's <laughs> words were he wanted to remove the sting from the n word. So, there's two different you know spellings of the word, and based on which spelling, how you use and it, how you use it determines if there's offense. Or if there's this feeling of community and that's a whole conversation That is for a whole conversation.
1: Day. And maybe we'll just do a whole nother podcast on that. I think that would be, um, uh, something great to talk about. But, um, uh, when I think about police brutality, um, and, you know, people wanting to defund the police and all the, um, you know, propaganda that's been sold to us about, who police are, what they do, how they're supposed to protect and serve. And in the black community, we didn't, we didn't see that. And by all means, we have the right to feel what we feel because we know how we have been treated. But we also know that in certain neighborhoods, certain cities, you know, you're treated differently by the police. And Martin Luther King himself had to deal with the police brutality, oh, being attacked by police, being arrested, falsely accused, um, going into restaurants and being arrested just because of who he was and what he represented, what he was trying to do. In
0: the section of the restaurant he sat in.
1: Absolutely. You know, so, you know, when we think about that, you know, what's your opinion has, has, have, how do you see the change? um, if there has been any at all in your perspective.
0: Now my perspective and most of the people listening to this podcast, uh, especially the the ones who are listening to the business theologist podcast at this time have not heard my perspective on this. Okay. So my perspective may be somewhat controversial. Okay. Um, I have, I am in a doctoral program at, at a very good school and, um, I'm researching a topic not related to race relations, but I have a colleague that is studying race relations and we disagree on some of the things I'm getting ready to say. So if he's listening, (laughs) I'm sure this will probably promote a phone call or some (laughs) conversation in the upcoming class um, with the passing of the civil rights act, which if we go back and we look at the historical basis, you know, there was a lot of things going on and Lyndon B. Johnson.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, let's back up. John F. Kennedy wanted. And this is based on my research, and if I'm wrong, y'all, please leave a note in the comment. Point me towards some resources. I always am a, have a thirst for knowledge, and
1: we'll add some resources as well.
0: Right. So John F. Kennedy was the president at the time, and he wanted to segregate, but he was being advised by Lyndon B. Johnson at the time not to. And we won't even get into, you know, wh- what was the you know, the consensus in terms of their their beliefs about race. We're not, we're going to kind of try to keep that out of it today to just not make this completely controversial. Okay. But when he passed away, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, Lyndon B. Johnson passed, a, you know, he pushed toward the desegregation of the schools and the integration of of white and black America. Now, we recognize that America is a melting pot and we're not the only two races, but when you hear about racism, those are normally the two races that come into context. White right. versus black and vice versa. Um, so Lyndon B. Johnson moved forward with segregation. De- excuse me, desegregation. But let's talk about what was happening from a political construct across the country. You had, you had, you, the country was on the verge of, the, of a civil war. Mm-hmm. In the North, you had Malcolm X promoting, and the Black Panther Party mm-hmm. promoting any uh, means necessary. And they were kind of serving as agitators. And willing to be violent. And Black Panthers was a a militia. Was a militia. Now, they did a lot of great things for their local community, but they were a threat. They were. To the power structure.
1: Absolutely. And they actually, you know, they stood on some steps as well. This isn't the first time. I mean, we didn't, I don't, I'm I'm saying we, because I'm saying black people, but the Black Panthers did not storm, you know, the the um what am I what am I trying to say? They they didn't storm the Senate. No, they didn't. But they did go and protest on those steps. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, so they did do the right thing.
0: And they were trying to push from some accountability. But they Malcolm X's position was he was not going to be peaceful. And basically, if you hit me, I'm gonna hit you back. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> right. Whereas Martin Luther King took more of a nonviolent response. You know, the mm. protest. The boys bus boycotts, he started showing the power of the black dollar and how we are a part of the society. Mm-hmm. But, you know, basically we want, to, we want all inclusion. We don't want you to just take our money and treat us unfairly.
1: We want to be treated like human, like beings, human beings we are. Right. Yeah. So,
0: but the agitation in the north coupled with the, the protest and the boycotts in the south created a powder keg in our country where it was on the verge of civil war. Right. So the actions that were taken, whether you agree or disagree, had to be taken for the stability of the nation. It had, it had transcended white versus black. It had become, if we do not do something, right. there's going to be a bigger problem here. And every leader, whatever country you want to talk about in the U.S., of course, we have our president. The job of the president is to maintain order and to upkeep the Constitution. And so we were on the verge of severe disorder in the United States. Similar things were happening in Brazil. Uh, We did a whole study on this in our PhD program. Other things were happening in South and what we call uh, sub-Saharan Africa with um, Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. They all had their own situations unfolding at different periods in history, but in the U S in the sixties, That was a tremendous time, and we had the passage of the Civil Rights Act. Now, me personally, I don't personally believe that racism as we know it is ever going to disappear. Correct. That is a methodology. That is a thought process. That's an ideology, and I personally don't believe that you can legislate ideology. Mm -hmm. You cannot legislate someone's ethical or moral behavior. I I don't personally believe I believe racism is a hard issue. Um, I believe it's a hard issue. And I think the problem sometimes is we try to legislate the morality fiber in the people, and that's not something that I think the laws are for. So I personally believe, as an African American male, that I have human rights, um, that this opportunity has, this, this country has afforded me the opportunity to create a livelihood for me and my family. I'm old school. I believe in the power of education and hard work. And I believe that if we are persistently patient, that opportunity will eventually find you. Now, I do not believe that everyone is obligated nor um, is obligated to give me, quote unquote, a fair opportunity. Uh, I believe that companies have the right to hire and fire whomever they choose. And they should find the best person for the job Mm-hmm. irrespective of color. These are my beliefs. Okay. I'm an African-American male. I feel like you put the best person in the place for the job, personally. Mm-hmm. Now, do I, am I naive enough to recognize that that's not always the case? I recognize that. Mm-hmm. Recognize that. Um, but in this country, we have the ability to create our own table. You have the ability to start your own entrepreneurial endeavor, to pursue your God-inspired ideas and purposes. I believe that. I believe we all have equal footing. I also believe in the tenet of survival of the fittest. Um, With all those things being said, I do recognize that we live in a capitalistic society, Mm -hmm. and sometimes the barometer between the have and the have-nots is not color but in actuality capital or the access thereof. Mm
2: -hmm. I also
0: believe in the principle of mentorship and sponsorship and strategic alliances to create the relationships and foment the, the opportunities that we want available to us. So oftentimes we try to relegate success or the lack thereof to a skin color. And I think that is a very um, naive and simplistic view of a very diverse and complex, as they call it in social sciences, a wicked problem. Wicked meaning not good and evil, but in terms of the complexity, the multilayered dimensions of that. That's what I
1: believe. That, that was a lot. You said a lot, you said a lot of, uh, different things. And, you know, I I believe that racial profiling still happens. Um, I believe it definitely still happens in the workforce. Um, I believe that we are given opportunities, which back in the sixties, they did not get. So Martin Luther King's fight, Malcolm X's fight, um, did open the doors for us to at least be able to come into those opportunities, meaning at least get a job interview, at least have the conversation for a person to be able to see me and not judge me by the, um, by my skin color, but more so by the content of my character. Right. So, um, I think being able to get into those spaces for a person to see you as a human being and not judge you just based on my name is Sakina and I know you black. Right. You know, I still, I still, um, you know, get frowned upon at times when I'm having to do business with, you know, people who are maybe a little bit older than me that may become a quote unquote client and they see my name and they know um, in the conversation just by my name, not so much the way that I sound, that I am black and not want to do business with me or because their mindset is from the 60s and the 50s and you know people like that i just kind of give them the pass absolutely because like let's just let's just say what it is we were all raised differently absolutely and black people and black families how we're raised is not the same as an Asian family or a Hispanic family or a white family or even a Jamaican or African family, the, the, the principles and morals that we have as a race. I'm not, and I'm not saying it every single black household, but the, the basis of who we are has been transcended from family to family to family. This is just how black people raise their children. And we're the ones that have to have the conversation with our children this day about wearing your hoodies and wearing your pants sack and, and things of that nature. Well, back in those days, they also had things that they felt like they had to teach their children too as black children when, when a police officer. It's speaking to you. Look, don't look them in the eye. And, you know, like back then, it, I feel like every generation, it, it, it kind of it was something different that either was taken away, added and or meshed together, which how we, how we should function in society as black people and how we should look at people of other races. Because I and I'm and this is getting ready to be strong when I'm getting ready to say. Everybody, I feel, has a little bit of racism in them. And I'm not saying that um, we should use this racism as how we view other nationalities and other races, that that should be the basis of when we go out here in the world, how we should treat them. I, I know personally, there are things that were said in my household about white people. And some of those standards I still believe are true, and and I'm saying it from the aspect of there's just certain things that we have to teach our sons about how to deal with white women because of Emmett Till, and here we are in the 2000s, and I still got to have the same conversation with my son. Well, and, I,
0: don't, and, and, I, don't, I don't know if right racism is the right term. Okay. Everyone has an implicit bias. Okay. And the bias may be. <laughs> is that be,
1: just a technical term? No, well, it just
0: basically says that we all have biases of different types. One person's bias may be the color of another person's skin.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Another
0: bias in the employment um, and the workforce may be what school you went to. Mm-hmm. Um, another bias. We all just have biases.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so I think racism is just a, uh, a slice of that overarching apple. So like, okay. you know, we, we, you and I have had these conversations offline, like there's racism, um, call it racism, call it, uh, call it religious suppression in other countries. Like, let's talk about what's happening in China with the Uyghurs. So, and then if you talk about um, sub-Saharan Africa, you know, let's talk about some of the tribalism that's happening there. And all yeah. those people have are dark complected. Mm-hmm. You know, you see what I'm saying? But there's still implicit bias, mm-hmm. so I think racism is just one shade of, um, one aspect of implicit bias. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's in any point all inclusive. I mean, if you go back and look at civil rights in terms of um, some of the legislation from an employer standpoint, you can't discriminate anyone on race, right. ethical origin, sexual orientation, age you know, uh, marital status, those are just different forms of implicit bias. Mm -hmm. And race is just one of many of those aspects. So I don't disagree with you. Mm -hmm. I don't. Um, But I think sometimes we we are very quick to throw it into the black-white category when there's prejudices, implicit biases of all types in every country. Mm -hmm. No country is exempt. In the U.S., we make it a big black-white thing. We do. But I just think that we all have biases. And
1: isn't that, isn't it something? Because, you know, I mean, currently we only make up 13%, 13% of, of the, the population. population.
0: 13 and a half, whatever the number is.
1: So, you know, I just, I, I when I sit back and I think about, like, just how I was raised and how we just did things so differently and I would visit my You know, my my white friends and I would even visit some of my Jewish friends and some of my Hispanic friends and how their families operated and how they viewed us. You can you can be friends all day long. But when you try to mix and crossbreed, now we have a problem. And I and I'm saying this from just from what I've seen and I'm not saying it. And guys, just know that I'm speaking from my own personal experiences, but I always felt like the, the black families are more loving and will, and it will accept a white woman into a, 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 a family because a lot of times it's like, okay, this is my son and this is who he loves. I'm not going to discriminate against that because I know what that feels like. So we have always, I feel, has been have been more loving and accepting and sometimes it might have been hard for a family member or two but over time love would just overtake that versus it being the other way around
0: and I think think that's all based on perception and experience Uh, but you know I don't have the barometer for for all people and you know and I know you're not this is not what you're saying but I, I I do I will say that even growing up, I, I heard some things in our households, not my parents per se, but my grandparents who had, right. but you know, we talk about they this often. They grew up in a different they day. grew up in a different day. I don't know what, what I'm it saying. feels like.
1: That's what I'm saying. The the transition of those things passed down from generation right. to generation to generation, there's either, there's been a, an, an, either an alleviation of that. We don't think like that no more. We don't do things like that no more right. or, and, or something new coming in and say, Hey, this is a combination. You could still do X, Y, Z, but I need right. you to think about this, that, and the third. You know what I'm saying? So I
0: and I think like you, when people are past a certain age group, mm-hmm. we give them a pass yeah. because I don't know what it feels like. And let's talk about it from the black perspective. I don't know what it feels like to see white restrooms and colored restrooms. I don't know what that feels like. Right. I don't know what it feels like to.
1: Oh, that just gave me chills.
0: Have water cannons. Um, you know fire hydrants pointed at me yeah I don't know what it feels like to have dogs um, attack me for no other reason than the color I I don't know and I don't know what that feels like on either side so I think the generations who live through that Mm -hmm. who live through segregation I don't think they're bad people I just think they have a different perspective and I think both sides of the equation black white and you know, and most of that conversation is around the black and white dynamic. But I think we pass those biases subconsciously, I think subconsciously or consciously, mm-hmm. subconsciously or consciously down to previous generations. I mean, how do you, in 2021, which is when we're recording this podcast, January 2021, how do you still have so much racial divide in this country today?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Where, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. passed long time ago we're still celebrating his birthday it's a federal holiday and so it sometimes baffles me how we still have so much racial division today now myself and yourself included um we did not grow up with a silver spoon we're not hedge fund babies or trust fund babies we came from both of us came from very humble beginnings people heard my stories i was on free and reduced lunch for most of my um, you know, me too. K through 12, well, great not, experience.
1: I reduced. I was on free lunch all of my life.
0: So for us to have created what we've created in our own respective domains today. So when people ask me questions like, well, do you believe in white privilege? And I look at where I come from. I, I have a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. I struggled reading in second and third grade. Um, I was not considered the smartest. I did well. I worked hard. I just learned different. I had to figure out how I learned, and now, you know, fast forward, I've led a multi-million-dollar government contracting firm for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an engineering degree from the University of South Carolina, a master's in project management, and an MBA from the Citadel, and now I'm in a PhD program at Case Western Reserve University. So, if you want to tell me that I am less than because of my skin color. I have a hard time with that when I look at just where I come, where I've, where I've come from, I struggle with that. And I also struggle with the fact that we live in a quote unquote racist society when most of the opportunities that were afforded to me came from men who were not of African-American or men and women of African-Americans. Most of the opportunities I got came from white Caucasian males, period. Mm-hmm. And so for me to believe that, um, that, you know, white privilege exists, and that, um, you know, this this country was founded on racist on racism. When we go and we look at see with when you go back and look at the African culture, um, slaves were sold by people who looked like them into slavery. So Correct. I have very hard time
1: mm-hmm.
0: buying into some of the um, ideologies that are
1: spewed. Well, I think that white privilege. And that's when I don't even know if we're going to get into that. That's a <laughs> how whole we conversation got on this. for another day. Well, well <laughs> let, let, let's, let's pause. Let's put a pen in it because there's a couple things I want to talk about. But let's put a pen in that. Can you give us the definition of white privilege and how we got here? Obviously, it just needs to be talked about. So let's just talk about it. Because, you know. I'm we, got,
0: I don't want to give you my definition. So let's pull up. Well, you talk about it. I'm gonna pull up the well, official. Well, I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna say this to
0: definition. You. The first time it.
1: I heard white privilege, in my mind, because of what I was hearing and what was being said, I was saying to myself, "Well, I can relate to that because that has happened to me, and that is that's how I felt in the workplace when you know I was passed over for raises." Um, I was uh, a hard worker um, and I didn't get the same praise or push forwards that a lot of my white counterparts did. And I I wasn't I wasn't given the same opportunity to get pushed to the forefront of becoming this um, master educator for this particular company. And when I had interest in that, I was, you know, dumbed down and looked over and people who did not deserve it, who did not look like me got pushed forward and pushed to the limelight and to the, the front side. And they got the opportunity to get what it was that I wanted, what I felt like I deserved, what I felt like I was overqualified for. So the only thing that I could relate it to was being discriminated upon. So the difference between di- being discriminated upon and white privilege is that the same? Is there a difference in the two? And based on watching a video of the the young lady that was, uh, who has defined white privilege, you know, it was hard for me to determine, well, what was that? You know what I'm saying? Was this, this, I feel like it was discrimination but I felt like it was discrimination because I over exceeded the expectations to be able to be pushed in that direction, especially the direction that I told my employer I wanted to go. And for the people who didn't even want to go in that direction, they didn't look like me and they were white and they were pushed to do those things. And the opportunities for them became made available and they had the backing but I was more qualified, and that was what I wanted. They didn't even want it, and they pushed them. But, and ho- but hold on. <laughs> and then the ones who, because this, this, this is my argument to where I felt like, I think I can agree with this white privilege thing. This is where I'm coming from. And then for the ones that were in those places that did not work in my environment, in my same environment, but were a part of the same company, when they, they looked like me, And they did get in those positions. They felt as if they were still put on the sideline. And the ones that looked like the image of what the company wanted, they pushed them forward and they gave the ones that looked like me that did make it there, they gave them the scraps. So for me, when I was introduced to the white privilege mindset, I felt as if. That was what I was experiencing. I understand. I understand. I'm,
0: gonna, I'm going to respond to your question, but I'm going to read the, uh, now there's a couple of people who've kind of come up with this concept. but This is from thoughtco.com. Um, this article was written, I'm just going to read the first little paragraph. The article was written by Nikki Lewis Cole, PhD. Um, just to give you some context. Dr. Nikki Lisa Cole is a sociologist. Um, she has a BA in sociology from Pomona College. She has a Master of Arts in sociology from the University of California, Santa Barbara. And she also has a PhD in sociology from the University of California, Santa Barbara. So, just to kind of give you some context, so she's a sociologist. So, um, here we go. Here's the first paragraph. She says, white privilege mm-hmm. refers to the collection of benefits that white people receive in societies where they top the racial hierarchy. Made famous by scholar and activist Peggy, Peggy McIntosh in 1988. So this is not a new, I know everyone is all about the book about white fragility and everything, uh-huh. but I think the PhD name is Robin. I forget her last name. Mm-hmm. In 19, so Peggy McIntosh is from 1988, n- not a new concept. The concept includes everything from whiteness being equated with being normal. Now, whiteness equated to being normal. We already know race is a made-up thing. That's a whole conversation for a different day. There's a lot of studies. There's no such thing as a black gene or a white gene or an Irish gene. Racism is a made-up concept. Right. There's a bunch of research out there. This is not Kirk coming up with this. They actually documented studies mm-hmm. on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about Bacon's Rebellion and how all of how the term, how some of those concepts that we know today came about. But that's a conversation for a different day. But I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm going to continue. Um, the concept includes everything from whiteness being equated with being normal to whites having more representation in the media. White privilege leads to white people being viewed as more honest and trustworthy than other groups, whether or not they have earned that trust. Uh-huh. This form of privilege also aids that white people can easily find products suitable for them cosmetics, band aids, hosiery, and their skin tones, etc. While some of these privileges might seem trivial, It is important to recognize that no form of privilege comes without its counterpart, oppression. See, that that whole term, (laughs) we are not oppressed. No. In 2021, we are not oppressed unless we allow ourselves to be oppressed in our minds. Yes. There's nothing stopping you from building a business. I agree. There's nothing stopping you from going to college. I agree. The crap provided your grades are good. Mm -hmm. Stop y'all. Yeah, we
1: are not, (laughs) we are no longer oppressed. We are not oppressed. Yeah. And, and the, and the mindset of that I think comes from, you know, when people are still living in poor neighborhoods, living in the hood, um, and feeling as if, you know, uh, they might've gone through some type of experience with the law and now, you know, they're trying to rehabilitate themselves and they feel oppressed because of now I have this status on me and this now says that I can't, work amongst the average people or I now have a stigma against me because I had a rocky past and now I'm trying to start over so now that I still have to come back and live in this same environment and now I I can't go out and I can't get a good paying job to take care of my family take care of my you know you know whatever now I feel oppressed by what the law has done to me because now I'm marked. And how am I supposed to move forward now? I'm not the only person in the world that has has done something and make, maybe broken a law and served some time. So why is it that in the black communities we don't have the programs to help us to be rehabilitated and not to have to have this stigma. Why can't, why can't we have that removed from us because we've now served our time, but then you may have someone that doesn't look like you that also has the same exact situation, but because of their demographics and maybe because of their family background. Now you got somebody that can come and expunge that record and you have the money to be able to move forward because of your family and what they have to offer. So now we going to expunge this and make this go away so that now you have an opportunity in life. So when, it, when you, when you say the word oppression, from that aspect, still, that still makes a person feel like they are oppressed. But as a people, as a nation of black people, do I feel like we are oppressed? I don't. But I feel like there are situations that can make you feel like I'm in an oppressive situation.
0: I think sometimes we confuse racism with classism.
1: Oh, Yeah. Oh, yes. So
0: some of the things we call racism is classism. Absolutely. Our, 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 lit, our lit, the litigious system that we live in mm-hmm. is based on green. So if you are black and you have green, rules are broken and bended for you. That is true. Most of the time, people who look like us don't have that access. That's true. So we confuse classism with racism mm-hmm. when really it's the money or the lack thereof. So we won't even, I'm going to bring up something that's very controversial. So let's talk about the OJ Simpson case. <sighs> Classic example of classism. OJ Simpson had the best legal team that money could buy. And many would argue, I'm not going to state the position. Many would argue that OJ Simpson was guilty.
1: Yes, many would argue.
0: Many would argue he was guilty. And they would say that, you know, the prosecuting team in California did a horrible job. But if O.J. did not have the access to resources that he had, many would say he would have been in jail.
2: Yes.
0: But because of his access, because of his class Mm. that he was in, he was able to, to, uh, Defeat.
1: He could afford to it, defeat. There you go. He could afford. So to. I
0: think a lot of times what we confuse as racism is, in fact, classism. Now, to your point earlier, you talked about um, kind of you, know, you used to work for a very well-known school system, which we'll call we'll call nameless. I'm just
1: gonna say company.
0: Company. There you go. Okay. A, we're a very well-known company that if you call the name, many people would know. Correct. And you was an educator after setting your salon down in Charleston, South Carolina. And moving to Georgia, you went back into the work system temporarily until you launched the brand that we know today called The Retail Boss.
1: Correct. So
0: when you were in that system, you felt like you provided a lot of value and you couldn't get recognized. And I hear this question a lot. Matter of fact, I've been on Clubhouse, as you know, some of you guys know and have been following me on Clubhouse, talking about government contracting and a whole bunch of other topics. Uh, But this question came up in a black in tech you know, black in technology,
2: mm-hmm. black
0: in tech room uh, I'm black and you know I wear my hair a certain way to get through the comments I was hearing mm-hmm. and I can't get moved up and I said to them, and I said, I'm a little older than you all. I said, but um, the thing that I need you guys to think about is people do business with people they like and they, and they people they like and they trust period, whether we're talking business, whether we're talking employment so be likable. that's a number one. Number two, how do people move up and get access to opportunities? People, you know, I couldn't see him. This is a clubhouse, of course, but you could hear the lack of expression. People are getting upset with the things that I'm saying. And I said, it's mentorship and sponsorship. Anyone. We like to talk about, we like to throw the race card around. And Keena's French her face up. So I don't know if she like what I'm saying right now. <laughs> but mentorship
1: and sponsorship.
0: Someone has to vouch for you when you're not have the platform to vouch for yourself. I agree. And people will take the word of Kina in this environment because she's a person of power. She's risen to some level of influence. And so sometimes they don't want to take the risk on Sue. No other reason. They just don't know her and they want to make sure that they look well too. I mean, people promote people that's going to make them look good as well not just promoting you because you're cute. So when Keena goes out, when I just use Keena's name, but it could be anybody, when they lend their influence to someone else and they don't know you from a can of paint, more than likely I'm going to go with the person that someone vouched for versus the no-name person.
1: Well, I think, of course, every situation is different. Of course. But... When you are looking at it from a financial perspective, and when you're looking at it from a with them, what's in it for me mm-hmm. perspective, then I think the decisions that are made are based off of that particular company's need Agreed. versus y- you know what it is that you are trying to achieve in that particular company. Agreed. So you know, for me. And I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, but I was on, I got to see both sides of it because I had a friend that did make it in. And they, but they, and they were at a different, they weren't, they didn't work with me. But
0: did they sell their soul to the company? Um, I know this person you're referring to, I think.
1: I, I won't say. I, I, and that's I, not, okay, kind of, that maybe that was too strong. No, 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 no. They didn't sell their soul, but they fit a certain persona. Because they had to be a representation of that particular persona. So then it was like so many of this and so many of that. So nobody can say that we're having, we're, we're having some type of discretion here.
0: So, was it more of a cultural fit? Or was it was,
1: it- I think, I feel like the person was definitely overqualified. The person was definitely African American. Mm-hmm. They had an extra bonus. And because of the culture of the business, I feel like they had to just fit a certain amount of that on and, and at that level okay. at that level. I can't, I can only say so much because I don't, I I don't want anybody that I know to listen to my podcast and then get offended at the end of the day. I can only speak for what happened to me. No, no, I get it.
0: But I want to ask a very generic question. I I know the companies. We're not going (laughs) to talk about that. Yeah. Were they trying to, So do you believe that they were trying to fit a diversity profile? Meaning I had to have so many of this color. So that person fit the diversity profile and, and was also a cultural fit for what that organization was trying to
1: represent. Absolutely. And hold on pause. And because of where, where I was, I was needed to stay in a certain position for the need of that company, regardless of what it was that I excelled in and I proved myself and I submitted everything, all my information. I fit the bill, but we know if we let her go there, we're going to lose out here. So we can't, we can't let her go to that next level.
0: I'm going to be honest. So I, 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 I'm a CEO. I know right? what
1: you're going to say. I know you're looking at it from a business and I'm perspective. Like,
0: I don't see nothing wrong with that. And, and as, and as a free, independent thinker you made the best decision for you which was leave if i got an asset
1: but i think the problem with that
0: and i don't want to make on. the no, 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 i got you
1: i have an <laughs> asset
0: in the organization and they are amazing for this role but they're going over here and they might this might sounds bad they go they want to go over here should i give them the growth opportunity probably so but is the company at that stage able to do we have the infrastructure in place to help them grow into that position? We may or may not at that time. and So that may influence the decision. And so I think what should have happened was someone should have came to you and said, hey, look, I know you want to do this, but we have a need for you here.
1: I just don't think it should have ever been asked. I think if, I, I believe that if it was never asked, that that was something that I wanted to do because in a, also in a, in a setting of, and I know we're going too long with this because um, I want to get off this point, but I think, in the setting of an interview and you asking that as a business owner, I think you misrepresent um, what it is that you're offering to that particular person that you are hiring because you're making it seem like that that is something that your company represents and could push me in the direction of. I do want to make this point. there was another person um, that did also uh, this is because I, I mentioned one person, but now I'm going to mention another person that we had. It, we were exactly the same and she didn't make it, but she had to go around. She had to go around to get it. And when she went around to get the position and she got in there at seven years, she still didn't get that stage. She still couldn't be represented. She still she did everything for seven years but see, and th- you still handing somebody like you're still in a no, you're still assisting. I still can't even get a, you know what I'm saying? Like my expertise can't be exposed because there was already one that looks like you. But see, I don't think it's the company's job again. again but then you shouldn't offer I don't it. think, no, no, you I have to offer it.
0: Cause these are things that we're doing as a company.
1: But you should, but for a company to be as liberal, Let's go there. And I got, we got to get off this point. We got to move on. But for a company to be that liberal.
0: Y'all can see that Keenan and I disagree on this.
1: <laughs> for a company to be that liberal and for you to be promoting this and then you don't show this. I don't think
0: it's the company's job to manage your career. I no, think no, that's no. your job. No, and no. when you realize you're not getting what you want from that there's a whole bunch of other companies you can go to.
1: I don't see fault but I with think the company. The why I you, think the fault lies I think in the, the reason point. why you don't see it. And, and you have to speak from outside looking in is because when you look at the industry that I'm in, it's continuously the same thing. But what I'm telling you is if it wasn't like that and the diversity was there, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. I
0: don't disagree with you on on the surface. On the surface, we don't disagree. I think where we disagree is when you find that you can't get the opportunity you want, you're free to go, which is what you did. Absolutely. So I think sometimes we place too much responsibility on the companies. The company hired you to provide a product or service need in their organization. And when you are not getting what you feel you should get from the company, you are free
1: to leave but, so, why, but, why, but why, why so many others that don't look like me were able to get in those positions? It,
0: it, it, like what was that? I, I think sometimes we don't understand, and you know we, we, I don't <laughs> <I'm not
1: laughs> we trying. have gone on way too long on this point, but you we have to
0: understand I mean, what the power dynamics are in the company. But again, I still feel that in order for you to get to the highest ranks of what is you trying to do, you need mentors and sponsors. And there's too many examples in present day America where that has rang true.
1: There was mentors and sponsors
0: in your organization. Yeah.
1: It just wasn't for me. It was for the person that was in it for the seven years. My point, my point, my point, you're,
0: you're, you're validating my thesis.
1: Well, they had mentors and sponsors, but they still were only able to get to, they only allowed her to get to a certain level. And because of now, let me say this and then we're going to move on. And because of now with the whole George Floyd situation that these companies have now said, oh, we messed up. We're going to let y'all in now. So when we talk about white privilege. They put themselves in that category and say we were definitely using white privilege we were operating in white privilege and now we digress from that from that mindset because they ha- they found a way to categorize what it was they were doing but well, see and this is what it I've does. been
0: seeing a lot of that but the, for me the real barometer test is not what you say today is and not it? and not the the temporary changes that uh-huh. you make but are they sustainable
1: are they sustainable it, i agree with it you it has
0: been statistically proven that the diversity inclusion programs have had had a counterproductive effect. These are not my words. These are statistical facts that I could point people to.
1: I agree with
2: you. The diversity
0: you. inclusion programs have not had the intended effect. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, they have made it harder. And they have limited mm-hmm. the amount of qualified minorities, not just black people, mm-hmm. the qualified minorities who've gotten in positions of power because of it creates a false quota. Why we got to just have this many people of this minority group in this position? Why can't it be more? could be less, but it also could be more. I agree. So I'm all about getting the most qualified position for the job. But again, that's my philosophy. You're taking people in systems and they're having their own personal philosophies. They're imposing on a system that they're in. You know, a company is nothing more than a system of systems or a family of systems that work together to try to achieve some type of uh, force multiplier effect where the sum of the parts is greater than the individual parts and in themselves. Mm-hmm. So it gets it gets tricky because we start talking about power dynamics and people who are on the org chart really don't are not pulling the string. They have the title, but really you find out Bob in charge, but Steve is on I'm just making up names, Joe. Mm-hmm. Steve is on the org chart, but you find out Bob is really the decision maker. So everyone who's always on the org chart is not where the power lies. And so, you know, we try to take these very complicated problems and we wanna whitewash them with it's this, or it's that, and this, I mean, career navigation, I mean, I remember, it wasn't when I was at Carolina, but I remember being told by people who graduated from Carolina, I'm a U.S., I'm a University of South Carolina graduate, y'all, not North Carolina, the real Carolina, which is South Carolina, so I'm a USC <laughs> graduate, I am a game Gamecock,
1: because
0: the, <laughs> the Chapel Hill guys always come for me, so the real Carolina, and this is my microphone, so the real Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> They used to teach a class many, many years ago. I never got the opportunity to take the class, but I was told about the class. It was a class called Career Management, and they were teaching these students at the time how to navigate their careers. Some would say, um, based on the conversations that I heard, some would say it was probably philosophies of Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power and Sun Tzu's Art of War but they were teaching people how to be strategic and navigate themselves and their, and their superiors in the organization to climb the corporate ladder. So I don't think enough people are being strategic in their, in their career pursuits. And the things that happen to them are happening as a result of just happenstance and they're not effectively navigating their career. You know, you heard my story. I got to a specific agency and I started out low, and within seven years, I was a GS fourteen equivalent. So again, career management. So,
1: well, we're just gonna agree to disagree. We're gonna just agree to disagree, and it's because, okay. <laughs> um, I was in it, so I know what I experienced. I know what I saw. I know the experience of others that were also African American, and we were all working for the same company, and. I just know what we experienced and I am I, not a fan of the term white privilege, but I do definitely feel like, um, there was a level of, um, you know, we just only going to, I'm not going to, I can't, I don't want to use the word, um, discrimination, but I do feel like in their minds, And I guess you can't use the word discrimination in their minds. They were going to, they were only going to let us get so far and it was only room for one that looked like us and the rest just were not going to look like us. And until I was told, I I, I remember having some conversation, I was told by somebody until this person dies, nobody else is ever going to get a spot. Like it's going to be, it's more of the spot just has to be taken and it'll just always be one. There's never going to be more than that one that's going to sit at the top and ever be represented on that stage. And that's just what it is. And for a company to be so liberal into, and I mean liberal in every way to see that is, is where, you know, we felt hurt and we felt bothered and nobody wanted to hear us out before. Um, I don't know what's happening now because I no longer work for the company, but I did make the best, decision and that was to you know move on and have my own brand which has become successful so that was just my path but let's talk about because i know (laughs) i know and it's fine that we're over this time because i think these things need to be talked about and i feel like if more um more people like us more black people have these conversations and as y'all know we're a couple and we don't necessarily agree on everything when it comes to this we don't agree on everything and that's fine it's having I just needed to understand and you needed to understand me. And because we have an understanding, there's a, just a respect. Right. Right. I don't, so, I don't,
0: I'm not, so in any way, I'm not discounting your no, experience. No, no, I don't
1: feel like, so I don't, don't, feel wanna, like that. I don't I want people like to feel like, I don't feel like that. And I also, and, and, and because I feel like you don't understand my industry and, um, because you're in a different industry, and the, like the things that you do and the things that are required of you is just so much on a higher scale, a higher level. And you know, we already have issues with people respecting our craft. I think um, in the in the in the early 2000s, we started getting a different respect for the cosmetology industry because people started recognizing the, recognizing the fact that these people are really smart. These people are are very artsy. These people are very creative. But these people are super intelligent. I could start talking science to you about hair strands and you'll be looking at me like you, you crazy. So for that, with that being said, I do just want to move on. I'm going to switch <laughs> gears because this also needs to be discussed. But I brought up the police brutality. And I remember we had a situation and we were not brutalized by the police. Okay. So let me go and make a disclaimer. You're going to just tell all my business yeah, it's today. Like, it's, all, it's all right. I wasn't
0: planning on being we gonna distra- share. Distra- transparent you, today.
1: Listen, <laughs> we are going to share with our audience because we are both podcasters. So you guys are going to hear this on both of our uh, podcasts. But um, I, I, I want to talk about something that happened to us in our own neighborhood. Um, and, you know, we were not distraught. We weren't. We didn't. We didn't have any police brutality, but we were racially profiled in our own neighborhood. Yeah. And so, when we talk about police brutality and having that experience present day, uh, just a couple of years ago for a us, a couple of years ago, yeah. um, you know, like, can you speak speak to that? Because I was with you, but it was more so targeted at you. Than it was at me. I felt. Are you like, talking
0: about when I was walking in the neighborhood? Yeah, we were walking in okay. the neighborhood. So I was, it was a couple of years ago, I think.
1: Yeah, it was like two years, maybe, maybe three years ago now.
0: And I was walking in the neighborhood, 20, as I 20, do. Oh, 2018. 2018. Yeah, 2018. I was walking in my neighborhood. I stay in a very nice neighborhood. We stay in the country club with golf courts and tennis courts and community pools. And, so it's a, nice, it's a nice subdivision, and it's a nice a collected mix of homes from multi-million dollar homes down to, you know, a few hundred thousand dollar houses. So it's in a nice neighborhood. And so one particular day, um, like I often do, I was walking my neighborhood. And I think this particular day, I think I was talking to my mom. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I was on the phone with my mom and I like to, especially in the evening, I'll catch up with family and friends. And, you know, it's just a way I get to exercise. I'll, you know, I'll put my clothes on, put on some sweats some Nikes or whatever shoes I'm wearing and I'll go out the door and I'll have my phone in my hand with my with my with my with my airpods in and I'll get to walking. Well this particular day, like I normally do, I didn't walk like I normally do like a, you know, around the sidewalks. I was kinda walking up and down my street. And it was maybe about six, seven o'clock is the summer, so the the sun is still up in the air. And uh, I I seen a couple cars go by and maybe I seen a, a young Um, a young man, teenager, um, African American, on his bike. And so I'm outside minding my business, on the phone with my mom, and the police officer rolls up on me. He rolls his window down and he says, uh, um, do you have your ID? Matt, hey, how you doing? Do you have your ID? I said, uh, um, no, sir. I said, uh, not doing anything wrong. And uh, he says, well, I'm asking because I seen there was some there was some juveniles coming through here. Did you see him? Um, I said, "Uh, no, sir. I I didn't I didn't see anybody. I said, and then I pointed toward my house. I said, stay right there. I said, but if you want me to go get my I.D., I will. Now, that's the that's the nice preppy version. When he asked me the question initially, I got upset. But I had to remember, you know, this was right on, this was, no, George Floyd hadn't happened yet, but we were seeing all of these killings of African-American men in the news. So I caught myself. Initially, I got upset. And I said, what? My ID? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I had to remember, I had to remember.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Real quick. Real quick. Snatch that back. What I
0: had been seeing on the news, because it upset me initially. So I gave y'all the nice, clean version. But when he asked me about my ID, I said, what? My mom said, What's going on? And I said, This police officer just asked me for my ID in my
1: own neighborhood. Right.
0: And I said, I caught myself, got my composure back together. And I said, Officer, I stay right there at home. And if you're like, you can follow me to my house and I will gladly show you my ID. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, How dare you? Are we checking for ID? Are we in Germany again?
1: This is crazy. What What's going and on? You, he
0: said he was looking for. Then he said, oh, I'm sorry. So when he realized, I guess that he had messed up, that he, this guy, because I'm a big guy. So if you haven't seen me in person, I'm about 265 pounds, mostly muscle, not as lean as I used to be. <laughs> Kena reminds me of that. <laughs> so I look like I play professional football is what I look like with a beard. Because, you know, the beard's in now. So I'm part of the beard. So I probably looked intimidating. But I was just minding my business. And so when I pointed toward my home and said, sir, I live right there. And if you like, I would gladly go into my home and get my idea if that's what you require. Then it was, well, uh, I was looking for some juveniles. Well, first of all, I don't look nothing like a juvenile. I'm clearly a grown man. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the conversation ended up rapidly. He, He pulled off. But I remember, I remember after he leaving feeling like, dude. No matter how much money I've made, no matter what type of vehicles I drive, how many degrees I have,
2: I'm still black.
1: Yeah, and and I and and I feel like we will always be reminded of that, and I think that's that's why this is always an issue that is pointed at us because of we're always being reminded that you're a black person. Yeah, and I have the right. Which you don't have the right to ask you, treat you, automatically assume anything. Because at the end of the day, I'm a human being. So, you know, when it comes to police brutality, and I remember, I remember that day distinctly because I was like, wait a minute. It was a reality check because at the time, Christopher was, I just mentioned our son's name, Lord help me. He, our youngest son was 14. Yeah, So right. then it was like, "Oh, snap, we got to have the talk." Right. And so for the average person that is not black, the talk normally comes in when your son gets around like maybe 10, 11, around that age, somewhere around that age, because of what happened with, um, what's the young man's name with the hoodie? Well oh, I can't Travon Martin, Trayvon Martin. So because of that, the, the talk now has had to come at a younger age before it was, okay, when when your child get ready to get driving, driving you know, so now it was like, dang, we got to have the talk. And so I remember, I remember us, um, letting them watch this the series the breakdown matter of fact i think that had just came on tv it was a series of breakdown with trayvon martin and everything that had happened and blase Blasa was like okay we're gonna let our kids we're gonna watch this with our kids we're gonna explain piece by piece what's what had happened in this situation and then after that it just got crazy it was like then fidel castro What's the um, gentleman's name? Um, he was shot in the car on Facebook.
0: Oh, F- Fidel Castile. Fidel,
1: Fidel Castillo. What did I say? Did
0: you said I say? Fidel. I'm like Cuba. What
1: you? What did I say? I said Fidel Castro. Lord, <laughs> yeah. help me. Y'all. Talk about the. Help my yeah, brain Fidel right Castile. now. Lord have mercy. I I done called the man, the Cuban um Anyway, my bad. You know what I meant. Y'all y'all just laugh it off. Everybody that's li- listening y'all just laugh it off. Y'all know what I was trying to say. But yeah, anyway, Fidel, you. Yeah. Fidel. Was Fidel. it Fidel or Philando? Philando Castile. Castile. Yeah. See, we just messing the man's name up. Um uh, rest in peace to him. Um so then we let we let, let them see. Right. You know what was happening in the media. Right. And I just
0: because there was no reason why a young man should have got exactly. shot. Exactly. He had his he had his concealed weapons permit. Exactly. He told a he told a police officer, "Hey, um, I have a CWP. Um, you know, I'm letting you know. Let me go in here and get my my, my ID." And he was shot. So right. you know, and, and then George Floyd. But even in because we're talking about Martin Luther King today. Yes. But even with all of that, I still think America is the greatest country on this planet.
1: It is. You can't live anywhere else and have freedom of speech. Yes, but, no, you know, that, that, that. now that's another <laughs> podcast. You can't live in, in any other country and choose the right of religion. what religion you want right. to have, um, freedom of speech for you to say the things that mm-hmm. you, like you want to say and not be arrested because I'm saying that I'm this or I'm that or saying just what I want to say, period. Right. Um, having the right to education. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to go to college, uh, being a female and having opportunities. In other countries, females don't have opportunities. In some countries, some some females can't even drive. You know, some females are treated like trash, you know. Right. So we have the ability as women to have um the right to vote and to have a voice and be entrepreneurs and go to school just Absolutely. like men are. Absolutely. Um, so we have a lot of freedoms in this country, and slowly but surely they're being taken away. And when you think about all the things that, um, not only Martin Luther King, but people like, people like Sam cook, you know, he, he spoke about these things in his music. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it he was being silenced or Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali being silenced. Right. Um, who else? Uh, then we had, we had Langston Hughes, like all these great men. This is what they have been fighting for all This time, everything that and the things that I just mentioned, as Black people, we didn't have the right to vote. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't have the right to this and have the right to that. But we always had our own communities. Yes, you know, we always supported each other. We always. Um, we we tried to provide a sense of unity in the different communities that we did live in. I
0: I think we did a better job historically before segregation yeah. well before desegregation we were forced to we were forced to versus yes. now yes and you know if you go back and you look at like black wall street um and you know um anthony texas and some of these areas we were was a thriving thriving african-american communities had their own banks in right. some cases and uh hospitals and self self-sustaining communities Yes. and you'll often hear uh, African Americans talk about how we can we get back to Black Wall Street, but you know it a, it a, it, the the family fabric was very different back then than it is today. You know, you had both parents in home, and
2: right.
0: you know th- th- those those are those are great assets that have not become as commonplace today as they once were, Correct. which is what I think has led to the deterioration of some of our community
2: I personally,
1: Yeah, and you know it, it's just um it, it's it's amazing to me that you know we're going through some of these things politically today, and now it's not just the black community. It's like everybody's being attacked at this point with our own freedoms and our our rights. Um, and you know the government really coming in and wanting to take over and reinforce and um, plug their own agendas into our thinking through the media and propaganda and really pushing their agenda on you when it's something that's not wanted and not needed. Now we're being forced to vaccinate. Um, But I
0: haven't forced yet. Well, okay. But I I think it's it's coming. It's in play. It's definitely
1: in play. So I'm speaking. I'm speaking too soon, but I'm speaking prophetically because it's definitely <laughs> happening. Um, I was in the nail salon getting my nails done the other day, and the young lady came in, and she works in the medical field, and she's also a student. And uh, so when she came in, uh, she was saying that, you know, it's amazing to me as a healthcare professional and the things that – and where I am and what I do in the healthcare profession. It. I'm, I, it, I've been given a choice to take the vaccine, but – with my schooling, where I am in school, in order for me to go back to class, I have to be vaccinated. Wow. And so now where I said I wasn't going to be vaccinated, now I'm not given a choice. Otherwise, my education is now going to be subdued or cut off right. because I, I now I'm, I'm, I'm voicing my right. And I said, well, what about your religious right? If this is a part of your religious right? Right. Or you know, freedom not to to ha- to be vaccinated, right. and she said it doesn't matter. And I said, how 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 does that not matter? Yeah, that's that that's something that's written that says that. You know, she's just like, I don't know, and I'm like, you gotta really research that because I don't think I would fall into that so quickly, but there has been some health professionals that are in particular positions that work in hospitals that are being forced. There's been, I've I've watched some YouTube videos of some nurses saying like, I quit, I quit being a nurse in a hospital because I'm being forced to take a vaccination that I don't feel comfortable with because there's not enough testing yet. And I, and I've seen, I've seen the other side of what can happen. So yeah, our rights are slowly but surely being stripped away. And I think we've seen the most of it with the media, um, with, uh, you know, YouTube and Twitter and other outlets um, of being silenced. You know, it's like, how can we be silenced? This is not a communist country. But,
0: you know, I think the big one is, you know, watching the president's Twitter account get suspended. Like, you might not like what he says, and I'm not going to turn this into a political conversation,
1: because we know how that mouth do.
0: But but you know, you <laughs> may love or hate the president, and that's your own personal <laughs> yes. choice. And of course, you know, we got inauguration on the 20th, so, you know, that aside.
1: That aside.
0: You may love or hate the current sitting president as as of this day, President Donald J Trump. But to now have his voice um taken from him because of the things he says, whether you agree or disagree, I think we're, I think, I think that's, we're going down a slippery slope,
1: but I think it has made the world more aware of being silenced because there have been people before him that also have been censored and have been silenced on social media. And it wasn't a big deal until now you mean to tell me the president of the United States is being silenced. Y'all already canceled them.
0: And, that, and, that, and this is a slippery slope because on one hand you got freedom of speech, and then on another hand you have this is a private company. Twitter is a private company, yeah, and they should be have the right to do um, what they feel they can do because it's, it's their company. But when you are in the media and some of the media provisions they have been given. To now silence someone and That's why you're seeing a push now For them to kind of repeal some of the The news rights that they have As a social media company to distribute um, news But That's dangerous um, Just You may not like some of the things Coming out of certain groups Religious or ethnic Or but the last thing I would personally want to do Is take someone's voice from them I just won't tune in but to just snatch their voice away, that's one of the things this country was founded on, mm-hmm. was the right of free speech. I don't mean have to agree with you. I don't even have to tune in. but like You should be given the right to say what you
1: want mm-hmm. in this country. That's very true. Very true. Very true. And, you know, uh, when I think about, again, these uh, leaders that you know have stood for the black communities, you know, how they are gone now and they've left their Legacy. I think it is only right for us as a community, um, as Black people, to stand for what is right, to stand for what we believe in, to stand for what equality means for us as a people, Mm -hmm. and for us to, you know, show more solidarity and not waver in our beliefs because our ethical beliefs really stand from a biblical perspective. And, um, I'm not saying every black person is a Christian. That's not what I'm saying.
0: We subscribe to,
1: but for the ones that are right for the ones that are our Christian beliefs as believers, I'm not talking about religion. I know we're still, you know, as a believer of Jesus Christ, we're still classified as a Christian. Um, but, and I'm not speaking from a religious standpoint. I'm speaking from just foundational principles and what God intended for us as as people, as believers of Christ, and those fundamental values being put into our our laws um, when the Constitution was created, it was a lot of it was created upon. Those Christian values, yes. the, our forefathers, our money says in God we trust. Yes. So how is it that now it's like, well, we're going to do away with this and we're going to do away with that. And, you know, when it comes to going to the voting polls, you know, I, I had a heart issue. It was a heart issue for me voting this year, you know, and, and, and voting based on my beliefs, my beliefs, how I believe about how this nation should be operating and my Christian values and my beliefs there. And also um, my pocket when it comes to, you know, uh, my finances, capitalism. And my capitalism, me being a business owner, and an entrepreneur. Those are all the things that I had to think about when I went to the polls. And we have talked about this time and time again. Curtis. Not on not
0: on this podcast, though.
1: Okay, no, not on this particular <laughs> podcast. But well, we have talked about this time and time again, how, you know, um, back in the days, you know, well, I, I can't even say back in the days, but, you know, what the Democratic Party stood for, what the Republican Party stood for from the beginning, and how over time things changed with it, and then the mindset of black people and what we were taught in our homes and how we were supposed to vote. Well, that, that for me was a challenge. It was, a ch- it has been a challenge for me actually the past couple of elections. And you know, I- I'm going to say it. And some of y'all might want to bash me and cancel me and that's fine because guess what? At the end of the day, I belong to God. So it doesn't really matter. But I know, um, one particular election, I did not vote. I, I was torn. I was torn Um, I felt like I had been hoodwinked and bamboozled. That that was the
0: 2016 election. I remember that.
1: Yeah. I felt like I had been hoodwinked and bamboozled. I started doing more research and reading and finding out that, you know, the way I was taught to vote and why I'm voting, this is, this isn't adding up with the candidates. So why am I voting this way? Does it make sense to me? So for me. I could not vote. And at, and at one point I really identified myself as a feminist and a lot of women do. And women, you got some women, they going to stand by that. It's going to be hardcore. They're going to stand by that. But how I got freed from that mindset and that movement was through me really searching the scriptures. And so when I think about Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, when he had, those opportunities to give those speeches. He always brought it back to scripture. And I feel like that's where a lot of us in this Christian walk are missing. It is really, let me identify what's being said and let me take it back to the scriptures. And if I can find this in the word to match up with what my beliefs are, then I can sway my vote this way. Or sway my vote that way. But God forbid you're black. And you say you're a Republican. You were crucified when you, got, when you say the word re. You are crucified and hung to the cross. So you have a lot of people that are really conservative and have conservative views. But vote Democrat because they're black and that's what they've been taught. Black, you, When you're black you vote Democrat. That's what we were taught. And then you have the ones that have been quote unquote awakened that are like, well, I put myself in the independent category. I'll vote this way or I'll vote that way. I'll go left. or I'll go right. Depending on what, what the, where we, where we are when it comes to terms for voting, then that's what I will do. So I don't categorize myself either way. Cause if I say uh, I'm a Republican because I'm hardcore conservative, or if I say that I'm totally against being a Democrat because I believe X, Y, and Z. So I'm just going to stay in the middle. That way I can't be crucified.
0: So you've taken the centerist or the independent position.
1: I'm not saying that I have. No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking. No, no, no. I'm not saying that I have. I'm just saying that most African-American or black people that are more conservative and that are that do lean more on the Republican view side will put themselves in an independent category so they don't have to deal with the, what comes with saying that I'm black and I'm a Republican. Well, I'm black and I'm conservative. I'm black book. and I'm conservative. Right. But yet and still, Dr. Martin Luther King fought for you to have the right to do whatever it was that you felt necessary to do.
0: And if I'm not mistaken, and I, some, of my, some of my historical scholars may correct me, but if I'm not mistaken, I think, MLK was a Republican. Like he was conservative, I think.
1: Well, I'm not sure, but I do know. I'm going to check. Okay, you're going to fact check it. Because, you know, (laughs) that's funny that I said go on a fact check it because, listen, if y'all haven't realized the fact checkers that's out here in these streets, there's a whole fact checking uh, thing that's going on on social media and Facebook and things like that. So, yeah, go ahead on and check it. But at the end of the day, MLK fought for us to have those freedoms and fought for us to have those rights. So I don't even think that it is right or fair that as a class of people or as a, not say class, as a, as a, um, category of people. Yeah, I guess I could say that, but anyway, as black people that we cancel people that, um, may not vote democratically, you know? So I'm, I'm going to kind of, I'm gonna end with that. The
0: internet says he okay. was not politi- He was not affiliated with either
1: with either
0: political party.
1: Interesting.
0: I don't think I, I ain't gonna say that. <laughs> I, I think I seen some, but you know the internet's crazy.
1: Internet's crazy. Someday
0: you'll see something that says this, and yeah. another site to say that. So,
1: but when you when you look at what um, Dr. King stood for, and you line that up with conservative views, I think you would find more matching. Um, I think you would find more of his views and more of what the conservative views are being somewhat similar. I I would agree with that. You know, I'm sure. (laughs) And I'm just saying that just, just, just based off of the Christian values. So, I mean, and I'm going to say this, you know, at this point it's like, who's the lesser of the two evils? Because there's something that could be said on both sides of the spectrum. That's good and that's bad and that's bad and that's good. I think it's all a matter of, you know, perspective and how you see it, your viewpoints, where you stand. And like Curtis and I, we do not talk politics with our family. And, I think, to, clue, you know, and <laughs> I
0: think you just have to know where to draw
1: the line. I think you just have to know where to draw the line. And you just have to agree to uh, disagree and still walk in love.
0: Okay, final question. Okay. Do you feel that we are better off as a result of Martin Luther King Jr.'s contributions prior to his death today, today than we were before?
1: Say that one more time. Do you believe
0: that we are better today as a result of MLK Jr.'s, Martin Luther King Jr.'s contribution? Are we better or worse as a society? Not as black, not as white, not as brown. As a country, do you believe we are better or worse?
1: (sighs) I think that's hard to – I have – I feel like we're better like we better. And I and I and that's my that's just my own personal opinion because I feel like if um well we know that you know he was he was assassinated because he really wanted the economic growth from the black community for the black community uh to stimulate and to increase and to broaden. And so if he had not been able to be a voice for us, affirmative action would not have happened. And there are now other people who now fall under the category of the Affirmative Action Act as well. So now you have the LGBTQ community who now have rights under affirmative action. So I believe that there may have been some things that one if it didn't happen for us, it wouldn't have been able to happen for other people and I know we keep saying black people, but we also have Hispanic people here, we have Asian, we have all different um, races of people here that now can benefit from what he did. and if he had not done what he did, we wouldn't be here like we wouldn't be we wouldn't be able to do the things that we can do now as business owners. We would not, I don't think we would have had the opportunities that we have. So I think he played a major, major role of us being presented with opportunities. I mean, you know, when I think about it now, you know, we have, we have black children going to Yale, you know, and Harvard and Stanford, you know, and, and it all started from, you know, what Dr. King did and the sacrifice that he made for us and I'm forever grateful and I think as a people as a country we will forever be indebted to his works and his deeds and what he stood for and what he did for our country
0: No, I agree I think we are in a much better position in life because of his contributions and sacrifices my kids have looked through some of the best Um, Schools in the country Elementary and middle school Now high school students And that is directly a result To the things he's done Um, I have a daughter Who wants to be an anesthesiologist That may not have even been a possibility You know Prior to Martin Luther King Jr's Rise to power I have a son Who wants to be an entrepreneur so I think it has definitely placed us in a much different position As um, an African American couple Or just life in general um, Whether you loved or hated the policies of President Barack Obama I don't think in my lifetime I would have seen that And so now all of the excuses Regarding what you can and cannot accomplish Because of your skin color Should be gone
1: I agree
0: So uh, I'm extremely grateful No country Including America is perfect We're a flawed humanity So I'm not looking for perfection But I think we're far far ahead Of a lot of our Neighbors Around the globe And there's no other place That I would rather be born Than in the United States of America I do recognize that some people will never probably see me because of the content of my character, but will probably always put me in a box based on the color of my skin. But I don't think racism has the power to hold me and keep me from achieving the dreams and purposes that was fashioned in my life before the foundations of the earth. Amen. I believe we're all born with a purpose in life. And just because someone may not be accepting, Of me for no other reason than my skin color. It has no power to hold me hostage. So for that, I'm grateful.
1: Amen. I agree. It's a good note to
0: end on. Gonna let Sam take us on out.
1: Take us on out then, Sam. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, thank you guys for tuning in. We hope that you will continue following our respective podcast. Have a great
1: day. I'll see you soon.
0: Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Theologist Podcast. Please share, subscribe, and rate this podcast so others can find us too. If you would like to connect with me, please use the links in the show notes of this episode please feel free to connect with me on social media as well. I welcome the opportunity to connect and hear from you. Have a blessed week. Until next time.